well, well, well. Look who's keeping up with the Joneses. Pierre Dorian. Ottawa Senators take a huge swing amidst all the, uh, I don't know, all the trade action going on this week. Hey, my name's Matt Robinson coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. This is episode 1077 of Tall Can Audio. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. And give us a follow on social media. Man, it's been a wild week. Bruins are at it again. LA Kings are at it. Maybe we'll touch on some of those here in a little bit. But yeah, Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators go out and land Jacob Chikrin from the Arizona Coyotes after an 18-month saga. Thank God it's over. Can't tell you how tired I was of hearing about that. Well, maybe this week and there's traction and there's just stop. The Arizona Coyotes, who are a National Hockey League franchise in technicality only, finally get this done. After going to a player in October of 2021 and saying, yeah, I think we're going to trade you. And then doing nothing until March 2023. Great job. Really good job. Sens fans are excited. They should be. I think there's two different ways to look at this. And I think we'll do them separately. There's the actual deal in a vacuum. What did the Senators give up and what are they getting in return? And then how does this fit with the Senators? What is the the, the match here? Is this the right target that they've hunted down? And, and what do you do now? So let's start with the first part. Because I like the first part. Senators give up a first round pick that is top five protected this year. So should the Senators miss the playoffs and actually fall back a few spots and happen to win the lottery and end up with a draft pick in the top five, they'll keep it. First round pick would slide to next year and everything else would proceed as per usual. Uh, A second round pick next year and a second round pick in 2026. There is also a condition on the second round pick in 2024. And this, I'm sitting by myself reading the trade, and I can't tell you how loud I guffawed at this condition. The 2024 second round pick would become a first round pick if this year, if in 2023, the Ottawa Senators reached the Eastern Conference Final. God, come on! Not happening. Not happening. I still don't think they're making the playoffs. They have absolutely made it interesting after, what, two big wins over Detroit. They're very hot over the last month or so. But uh, it's not just the fact that they're still five points out. It is the number of teams that are still in this and that you would have to jump over. Jacob Chikrin helps. But I don't think uh, they're making the playoffs, let alone then beating either Boston or Carolina in the first round, then beating either New York, New Jersey, Toronto, or Tampa in the second round to turn that second round pick into a first round pick. So this is good value, in my opinion. We had heard for 18 months now that the price was three first round picks or two first round picks and a really top end prospect. And nobody was biting. A couple different times we'd heard it was close. I think 
You know, when we first saw Jacob Chikrin, who has been scratched for three weeks, by the way, he flew overnight uh, to New York where the Senators are going to play on Thursday. He wants to play. Uh, the team, as I sit here and record on Thursday morning, is doing their morning skate. He's not participating. He's sleeping because he's just gotten off a red eye. You know he's going to want to play. But he hasn't played in three weeks since Arizona scratched him because we all thought a trade was close. It turned out not to be. It was believed that was the Kings. Something fell apart. Didn't happen. Edmonton was in on him. Boston was in on him. You know, maybe one or two other teams. And all of them at some point went, yeah, fuck off, and, and walked away to go do something else. So at some point here over the last few days, the price dropped. And the Senators had stayed in touch all along. Everybody has known they're looking for a top four defenseman. And Jake Chikrin is that. He is a very good defenseman. So they'd stayed in touch and stayed in touch. And finally, I guess the price moved enough that Pierre came back and said, I got a first and two seconds for you. Do you want it or not? And Arizona had sort of backed themselves into a corner a little bit, in my opinion. You've, you've told this guy 18 months ago, we're going to trade you. You've made him wait this long. Then you've scratched him for three weeks so that he doesn't get hurt and ruin any potential trade. They had to deal him before the deadline. Like, what, what happens otherwise? On Saturday, you turn around, <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry we scratched you for three weeks. Get your shit. You're in the lineup tonight. Fuck that. It was not going to work for him to stay there. So they were going to have to do something by Friday. And by all accounts, they looked at Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators offer and said, okay, that sounds good. A part of that is, by most reports, what is the most valuable first round pick that people were offering? Which means, who's the worst team still offering us a first round pick? LA, Boston, all these other teams we talked about who were in, their first round picks, who have now been traded anyway, right? They have dealt those first round picks away in other deals when they got sick of trying to make this happen with Arizona. But those would have been very late in the first round. Ottawa, at this point, is still not even in the playoffs. So you're looking at like a, I don't know, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th overall pick, potentially, you know, we'll see where the season finishes and then what happens around the lottery. But it was a more valuable first round pick than some of the other ones that they were being offered. Now, Ottawa's on the upswing, but this is a first round pick this year. So how Ottawa finishes this year is important to Arizona. Um, no doubt Ottawa looked at this and said, this is a guy who could help us finish that push. We've been hot for the last month. We're as good as anybody over the last month. Let's see if we can finish this miracle run and, and squeak in before getting just smashed by the Bruins. So that worked in Ottawa's favor. Frankly, that their first round pick was higher than the other first round picks that were being offered to Arizona. But Pierre doesn't give up Sogard. He doesn't give up Ridley Gregg. He doesn't give up Tyler Clevin. These, these prospects that the Senators have that they don't want to give up, they didn't. And they didn't give up two first-round picks or three first-round picks. Well, they might have given up two first-round picks. Let's not forget, if Ottawa gets to the Eastern Conference Final this year. yeah. So it's a first and two seconds. As a strictly hockey trade, looking at the asset, looking at the player, looking at what Ottawa gave up, really like this for Ottawa. Great get. Very talented defenseman. Can play on your top pair. Certainly can play on your second pair. Going to round out that top four very nicely. And you didn't give up a ton 
to get him. Now let's look at the second part of this, though. Was this the right target? If this was your target, like I said, it was the right price. You got a great deal on this guy. But was this the right target? He is a left-handed defenseman with a little bit, but not much, experience playing on his right side if someone had to move over. You already have Jake Sanderson playing on the left side. You've got Thomas Shabbat playing on the left side. And you have Jacob Chikrin playing on the left side. Now, one of those guys, if you want all three of those guys to be in your top four, which you almost certainly do, one of those guys has to move to the right. I suppose... I suppose you could run out three pairs and have one of those guys on the ice at all times. But it's going to be really hard to maximize the value there. Get everybody enough minutes, get everybody enough power play or penalty kill time, these sorts of things. But in theory, you could leave them all on the left side, move Brandstrom over to the right side, and then you'd have, I guess, Zub and and Hamannick. I can't imagine that's what they're going to do. Somebody's got to move. It's not going to be Thomas Shabbat. He is the weakest of those three defensively. And he seems to be the least experienced at doing it. Jake Sanderson has done it, but never at the pro level. It's always been in college. Um, And you could do it. You could do it. You could move him over there. But he is the rookie. He is the youngest. He is the least experienced. Is that what you want to put on his plate Right now, he's having a great rookie season. You might be happier to just let him stay where he is, not have that extra wrinkle thrown into his game. So it's probably got to be Jacob Chikrin. And I know I mentioned Branstrom there a few minutes ago. I know you're probably saying, well, he's a lefty as well. Yeah, he's played more right than any of these three guys. And he has said repeatedly, I'm totally fine to do it. He said, actually, I think when he got here, he preferred it. Uh, DJ Smith did not prefer it, so he's been over on the left, but you could move him and leave your three studs up the left side and and not worry about it. But I think it's going to be Jacob Chikrin that moves and people have talked about, well, he's played over on the right a little bit and he, um, he has, but it should be noted that this season down in Arizona, the top pair that they had was Shane Gostisbehere with Jake Chikrin, both lefties. And it was Gostaspair who moved to the right side. So he's already been in a situation where one of the two lefties was going to have to move and it wasn't him. I don't know what you want to read into that. Arizona's a terrible team. It's not a good organization. You know, maybe they've made a poor choice in your decision in terms of which one should have been flipped. Maybe it was just a yeah flip of the coin. Who knows? But... He just came from a spot where there was two lefties on his pairing, and he wasn't the guy that moved to the right side. So read into that what you will. But I assume here in Ottawa, he will be the guy who moves just out of process of elimination. Shabbat can't do it, and I don't want to do it to Sanderson because he's a rookie. Now maybe next year in training camp, you know, like I said, if Chikrin plays tonight, he won't have so much have had a, a morning skate with these guys. Like I said, he's sleeping. Forget a practice or time to get acclimated. He's just going to get dropped in there and presumably on his offside. I don't know what DJ Smith's going to do. They're not talking. But that's my guess as how this plays out. And so 
you spent this first and two seconds. Let's not forget you spent your first last year on going and getting Alex to brink it. There's an opportunity cost here. If you were looking for this long lost top four defenseman, I probably would have kept looking until I found one whose natural position was on the right side. Now, don't get upset with me. I already said as a trade, as a strictly what I gave up to acquire this piece, Ottawa did well. But I'm not convinced it's the right piece. Because I'm not convinced it's a guy who can play on the right side. At least not to the same level he plays on the left side. So it's two different questions, right? Did we win the trade? Yeah, I think you did. Was it the right trade? Mm, Less convinced. So like I said, there's an opportunity cost here. Because if you do find yourself having to still go out and try and find a right side defenseman... Well, you've traded your first away to get this one that wasn't exactly what you needed. And you know what this reminds me of? And I know how much Ottawa fans love these comparisons and love when everything's about the Leafs. But let me make this about the Leafs. Kyle Dubas goes out. All we've been hearing for a long time is that the Leafs need another top four defenseman. They need someone who can play with Morgan Riley. And Dubas goes out and gets a very good defenseman in Jake Muzzin. But he's another left side defenseman. And so you got Jake Gardner pushed down a bit and someone's going to have to flip unless, you know, we'll just try both of them on the top pair and we'll see. Mike Babcock is immediately and publicly irritated. Well, he's not a right side guy. He doesn't know. Gives it a brief shot. I think Muzz played one game on the right side. I think Morgan Riley played three or four. Babcock says, fuck it, splits them up. And you're kind of back at square one where you don't really have anybody to play with Riley on that top pair. So that's what I think of a little bit with this trade. It's a really good piece, and he absolutely makes the team better. But it wasn't exactly what you needed, and you spent a lot to get him, and now you can't, you don't still have that in your pocket to go spend on what you actually do need. So that's the opportunity cost that's still sitting here as well. Now, He'll be an upgrade on Travis Hamnick. There's no doubt. But is he as good as what you could have done? I'm not sure. We'll see. We're going to get a chance to look at it on Thursday night. I do think it's a nice piece of business for Ottawa in terms of being able to bring that guy in. It's probably not the move I'd have made. And I know there's a a bit of that sentiment floating around on Sen's Twitter right now. There's also a ton of excitement, as there should be. Uh, fans are pumped up that, you know, you've gone out, brought in another legit piece who is under control for two more years after this one at about $4.6 million. A question I guess we're never really going to get the answer to, and we don't really need to now, is did Pierre Dorian have permission to spend? And off the top of your head, you're probably going, well, yeah, of course, he just did. Well... What are we, a week, a week and a half removed from him trading Nikita Zaitsev to Chicago with a second and a fourth round pick? And that was expensive to get out from under that deal. And that was for future considerations. Essentially, to get nothing back, but just please take this contract. Zaitsev also makes about $4.5 million. So you clear him out, 
you pay a second and a fourth to get that off your books, then you go get Chikrin at 4.6. So that needs to be factored into the cost of this trade as well, which is the first and two seconds to get Chikrin, but also the second and the fourth to make room on your payroll for that. And not cap room, actual budget. This team is being ready, uh, is being prepared to be sold. And so there's been a lot of questions as to whether or not Pierre Dorian even has the permission or the ability to go out and add salary. So this was a clever little piece of work. Clear out Zaitsev's four and a half, bring in Chikrin's four and a half. You're certainly happier with one than the other and you carry on. I'll give him credit for that. But that second and fourth that went into dealing away Zaitsev count against what was paid to get Jacob Chikrin because they're connected. There's no doubt. Let's talk about Arizona for a second. What a fucking embarrassment. They've made it pretty clear publicly. We're not taking on any money. We're going to run cheap for a little while. Went and traded for the Shea Weber deal. They're still like something like $14 million under the cap for next year. Not sure how they're planning to get to the the floor. And when I say $14 million under the cap, I mean under the cap floor, not the uh, the top end. And so while Armstrong there, GM of the Arizona Coyotes, is out there last night and this morning saying, you know, like most GMs do, defending or talking about the trade, he's like, to make this deal and not have any salary coming back was big for us. Sir, you're doing this wrong. The whole point, the whole gun that you're supposed to have to hold to the head of the person you're trading with for a player as good as Jake Chikrin is that you have cap room. Apparently you don't have any money, but you have cap room. So when you're dealing with a Toronto or a Tampa or a Boston or an Edmonton or whoever else might have been in on this guy who has cap troubles and needs you to take something back, an expiring contract, some actual money, that's your ammo. I want the first and the two seconds that Ottawa was going to give me, and I want maybe a third or another second or something else on top of that to take back the money that you need to get off your books. Once you say we're not taking back a contract, we're not taking back any money and don't allow those teams that are right up against the cap to get in on the bidding war, well, you've screwed yourself. And that's how you end up with the low return that you got for this. I don't know, LA, I don't actually have in front of me here their cap situation. But presumably, LA, and this is where it all broke down, there was another contract that an AHLer was going one way or the other and they couldn't get that figured out. Let's say it was LA. And LA says, yep, we'll give you the first, we'll give you the two seconds, or maybe we'll give you two firsts in a second, but we really need you to take back player B who's making $2 million for the next year so that we can make this fit. Arizona says, okay, then that's going to cost you an extra third rounder to get us to pay that. But, you know, there it is. Deal done. As soon as you say, nope, not taking a player, not taking a contract, not taking any money back. Well, then half those teams all go, well, then I can't even, I couldn't make this trade with you even if I wanted to. Forget what I'm willing to pay. If you have ruled out taking back money, we're done. Ottawa had cap room, had actual money. Wasn't important to them to try and get a contract off their books. And that's why they were able to get this done. And for as cheap as they did. 
But to have Bill Armstrong standing out there the next day bragging, hey, we got this done without having to take back any money, you're a joke. Now, to be fair to Bill Armstrong, he has a boss and an owner who is actually pulling the strings here. I understand that. But this is not a real professional sports franchise. They're bragging about not spending any money. They're playing in a university rink. I don't, what are we doing here? I have no idea. I brought this up before. Why the Players Association isn't raising hell. You're not trying to make money. You're not trying to boost the cap. You're saying publicly that you're not going to pay players for the next couple years. This is not a good faith organization. This isn't a team making an effort. It's a whole other thing. But what an embarrassment. So the Senators got it done. A top four defenseman. Signed, sealed, delivered. Presumably will be in the lineup on Thursday night against the New York Rangers. Want to touch briefly before we get out of here on the Vancouver Canucks. Speaking of joke organizations. uh, On Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, the Vancouver Canucks traded away the first round pick that they got from the New York Islanders in the Bo Horvat trade. And another pick to bring in Philip Hronick from the Detroit Red Wings. Now, Hronick's a pretty good player. Um, on a contending team, I would say second pair defenseman. I believe he's been playing some top pair in, in Detroit, but he's very good. No beef there. My beef, as per usual, is with the Vancouver Canucks, who have no idea who they are or what they're doing. Can we walk through this for a second? You got a first-round pick from the Islanders in the Bo Horvat trade. The Islanders currently hold a playoff spot. It's a wild-card spot. They are by no means guaranteed to get in. And if they do get in, much like I said earlier about the Senators and some of the other teams kind of swimming around the bottom here, you're about to get blown to pieces by the Bruins or the Hurricanes. So it's going to be, at worst, kind of a mid-teens draft pick. But it's also entirely possible that the Islanders fall out completely and that pick is in the lottery. This is a stacked draft. It's not just Connor Bedard and Adam Vantilli and Matvi Michkov. This draft is stacked 10, 15, 20 deep. And you traded away a first round pick that is going to fall in the meat of that area. It could fall out of the playoffs. I don't know what you're thinking. And that's not even the whole thing. You've brought in a good player while you're tanking. Is he great? No. Is he serviceable and useful and a guy you'd like to have if your team was getting ready to get into the playoffs? Yeah, of course. But in the meantime, while you're supposed to be tanking, you're bringing in help? The Vancouver Canucks right now would pick sixth overall. That also means they are in the lottery and easily could win and move up and get Connor Bedard. Anybody know where Connor Bedard is from? Yeah, Western BC, local kid. Instead of bottoming out and trading away everything you can to make sure your odds of getting that local phenom into your lineup, you brought in help. You're trying to play better. You're trying to move up. This season is lost. You are not going to the playoffs. You're not close. Let it go. Well, he could help us later. When? This year's focus 
at this point needs to be on, hey, can we get that local star into our lineup? And then maybe within a couple years, you can start to do a proper rebuild around that guy. But to bring in 25-year-old Philip Ronick, knowing that you're entering a rebuild, or at least the rest of us knowing you're entering a rebuild, you seem to be continuously trying to just reload. Well, if we just tinker, if we just tinker, the team is bad. Philip Ronick isn't going to change that. So whether you know it now, or you're going to fuck around for another couple of years before you figure it out, Philip Ronick doesn't help you when you might be good and might be into the playoffs. You are at least five years away at that point. He is 30, his contract is over, and his best days are behind him. This was an idiotic trade. From every sense of it, the fact that the Canucks gave away the Islanders' first-round pick that they had and brought in someone to help them make their own pick worse? I'm getting worked up. It's baffling. Who is running this fucking organization? And that's your problem. It's sort of Patrick Alvin and sort of Jim Rutherford, but it's Francesco Aquilini. So you can fire as many GMs and presidents as you want, but as long as he owns the team, apparently the the, the mission is going to be, now keep trying, keep trying. We're not going to bottom out. We're not going to rebuild. Just keep, keep trying to add stuff. Fine. Just sit there in mediocrity. It's ridiculous. So good job to the Vancouver Canucks. Great job by Steve Iserman, who traded away a 25-year-old defenseman. After those two losses in Ottawa earlier this week, clearly the Red Wings have decided we're done. We're out. We're not contending this year. It's the right decision. So they turn around, they trade away Hironic to Vancouver and get a first-round pick that, like I said, may yet fall out of the playoffs. And then on uh, Thursday morning, they turn around and trade uh, uh, trade Tyler Bertuzzi to the Boston Bruins for a draft pick. Let's talk about that for a second, just for a second, because I've covered this already um, the other day when we talked about the Bruins acquiring Orlov and... And uh, Garnet Hathaway. That the Bruins know how to identify guys that will fit with their system, that fit with what Bruins hockey is. The Bruins know who they are. They know what their identity is. They know the way they want to play. And they target guys that fit perfectly. We talked earlier on about whether or not, while Jacob Chikrin is a great hockey player, whether he fits perfectly with Ottawa. I don't know that he does. The Bruins find guys who fit perfectly. Tyler Bertuzzi is an asshole to play against. By all accounts, kind of an asshole off the ice too. But you don't really care about that if you're the Boston Bruins. I just assume they're all assholes. He's an asshole on the ice. And he will fit perfectly. And those top lines that are already just chugging. You have Taylor Hall on your third line. Are they going to put Tyler Bertuzzi down there as well? Good luck getting by this team. Tyler Bertuzzi is a guy who I don't think has actually played a playoff game since he was in the AHL. But he will fit what the Bruins want to do in the playoffs perfectly. He's annoying to play against. He's strong. He's good on the forecheck. All these things that make the Bruins a handful. And they have only gotten more and more handfulish. 
You will need bigger hands. They will fill larger hands. And I, I, the handful thing is getting away from me. It, he's good for Boston. <laughs> so the Bruins know who they are. They know what they want to do. And they go find guys that can help them do it. Tyler Bertuzzi will help them do it. Last thing here. Uh, just as we sit here recording, it's come up uh, on the screen in front of me here that uh, da, 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 David Pasternak, eight times 11.25, has re-signed with the Bruins. Another tidy piece of business for them. You know, Rob and I have talked about that contract before. Rob suggested last week he thought it would be 11.75 at minimum. I thought that was a bit rich, but it would be over $10 million. The Bruins get guys to take discounts. This, to me, is a discount but not to the level that the Bruins are used to getting. Because you just, you can't hold people down there that long. Charlie McAvoy showed that. He's like, yeah, I know you guys all signed at some point for $6 million. That's on you. If I can get nine, I'm getting nine. Pasternak's the same way. Especially when you consider that the cap is supposed to start to explode here within the next year or two. This contract, I think, will age very well for Boston. Eleven two five for a guy who is lighting it up this year. Should still light it up for several years to come. It's a nice piece of business for uh, for Boston, which is which is fucking annoying, isn't it? Uh, not sure if I'll be back after the deadline, or we'll wait till Rob's in here on Sunday afternoon. We'll see what else comes up, what else might be kicking around here over the next couple days. But thought we would drop in, talk about Chickering, talk about the Canucks. Lots going on here still, and uh, there's a bunch of other deals that have been made. I'm just not going to bother trying to get into all of them. Here today, like I said, we may do something here again over the next day or two, and, and we'll go from there. Uh, but the deadline Friday at three o'clock, still lots of time, so we'll see. Uh, give us a follow on social media at Talk and Audio. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us. Don't forget, next week Ian Mendez makes his return to the podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun. We actually haven't seen Ian in a little bit. Uh, one of our friends here, one of our favorite guests. Uh, that'll be yeah, that'll be early next week sometime, Tuesday or Wednesday morning. We'll, uh, we'll get that scheduled out for you, so uh, stick around for that. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. My name is Matt Robinson. We'll see you all next time. That's it. I cannot work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.